Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Network Collective Community Roundtable. In today's episode, I'll have longtime friends of the show, Daryl Clute and Kevin Myers, joining me around the virtual roundtable to discuss all things networking. So settle in, and we'll be right back with today's episode. So Daryl, Kevin, thanks for taking the time to join me on today's show. Um, so Kevin, it seems like every time I talk with you, you're doing something way more exciting than I am. You're always working <laughs> on like cool projects. And yeah. as, as, as we were talking about uh, about things to talk about on the show today, uh, you listed a few kind of very interesting things. So so what is it that you've been working on, man? Like what's what's cool in your neck of the woods? So yeah, well, first, hi. Great to see you and Daryl uh, back, uh, reunited back from uh, a bunch of stuff and NFD and other things. So it's good to see you guys. And yeah. um, I think uh, I've got a few things that are kind of cool that I've, I've been working on. The first is um, kind of a little bit of a science fair project that we're going to be presenting at um, Microtik's European conference in Prague here at the end of March, I believe it is. Um, we've been working on building um, basically a traffic generator box using Cisco's open source T-Rex platform to okay. be able to see if we can take a router virtual machine up to 100 gig and beyond. Uh, so, 100 gig into a VM. Yeah, 100 gig into a VM. I know like without trying terribly hard, we've been able to get 20, 30 gig through it pretty, pretty easily without like a whole bunch of performance tuning. So we're going to see, we're going to put together a T-Rex box. Probably do like 40 gig switching is pretty cheap, you know, these days and like Nick. So we're probably going to just use a whole bunch of 40 gig to try to throw multiple streams at this thing and just see what we can do to see where we can top it out at. And then, um, you know, I, I, I think I've been on here talking about Microtech before. We've got a really good relationship with them. So I'll probably feed my results back to them and see, you know, if there's anything we can do to tune it or improve it and just see where the breakpoint is on a, on a VM and what you can do. We'll have to have you back on after you do that because I'll be super curious to see how far you're able to take that. Because I mean, so much of the talk, right, about about you know networking performance and and all of that resides in that hardware ASIC or whatever, and and dropping it to a VM without a whole lot of specialized hardware is 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 something. And we certainly have come a long way. We've seen a lot more of that, you know, generic hardware getting getting further along. But uh, I don't think that anyone's talking about a hundred gig. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I asked, we were at NFD uh, not too long ago, I think it was, uh, it was NFD 21, and we, we happened to be there with uh, some of the Intel guys um, at uh, one of the stops we made, and they, they had the NIC guys there, the guys that work on the NICs and the drivers, and I asked them, I was like, how realistic is this? Because I, you know, I have people that want to do BGP border routers and things like that, and they're like, ah, that's no big deal anymore. They're like, you know, if you get the, the latest Intel 100 gig NICs, they said we can, you know, do 100 gig, you know, um, network appliances and compute pretty easily. So they didn't really? think it was a big deal. They see, I mean, I guess that the web scalers and all the big boys have been playing with this for a while. So, you know, the, my, my attraction to it with Microtik is, you know, their most expensive virtual machine for an unlimited throughput license is 200 bucks perpetual. So, you know, if we can suddenly <laughs> crank really, 50, really 60, cheap, 70 gig, gig, yeah. yeah, I mean, go spend a couple thousand on a server or less and. 200 bucks on a license and you've got a monster box you can do i, I think with. they might change their licensing model <laughs> yeah maybe yeah maybe opening pandora's box here yeah so. maybe there'll be another tier between whatever their top is now and unlimited. right yeah now it'll be thanks to me there's gonna be a thousand dollar tier so sorry apologize in advance even um, so i mean that's pretty impressive for 100 gig speed if you if i mean if it's doable yeah i mean i, I know they're constantly working on the on the nick speeds and, and getting it through you know the commodity hardware and uh, you know, I, I, that advancement is really impressive, even to where it is, you know, or where it was just a year or two ago. And it'll be interesting to see what you get out of that, because I think that, um, you know, as we go along, there's going to be less and less compelling argument for for custom ASIC beyond, well, I don't even know what, like, 
Well, at what point? <laughs> so the the raw throughputs are is the relatively easy part of that. Um, okay. If the if the NIC can support the speed, they can in theory as long as the driver as long as you have the right driver, you can get the full throughput, right? So as a from a transit standpoint, that's easy. It's when you start adding services, I start adding firewalling services oh, or anything course, that requires. Yeah. Yeah, then yeah. that's where you get into absolutely needing DPDK or some of the other um, programmable NICs where you can actually download um, XTP data right into the the NIC, which is the the firewall or the L7 type. Right, because we're talking we're talking 100 gig just optimized for TCP/IP throughput. Like we're not talking right. we're not talking about anything outside the scope. No filtering, no services, no load balancing, yeah. no whatever. Like you can't put your logic on top of that just yet. Well, I mean, maybe you can. I mean, if they say 100 gigs, no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I, I can tell you, like, realistically, I can tell you what I've done in Pride. Like, we've done with um, some customers, because we do a lot of ISP work, and so virtualized BGP border routers um, has been a big thing because, um, you know, B, the BGP global table for V4 just keeps growing. And so the compute that you need to deal with that keeps going up. And, I mean, obviously, in all of our fixed form factor network year we've all worked on in the last decade or so, it, it has, you know, um, some uh, fixed compute. So... Um, I think that's something that um, we're looking at doing offloading. And we're still seeing dramatic cost differences between, you know, those compute and memory resources on, you know, your traditional networking gear and what you can get out of a generic, you know, x86 server box. Um, so, so being able to take multiple feeds in and being able to do that, like that's, it's still the most cost effective on a, well, <laughs> on a I, server. I mean, even if you have the, the hardware, when you're talking about like the, the route reflector component, when you talk, take the, the Nexus platform, the the 9Ks, and running that, I mean, they have a, a limitation where you can only download a million routes if without going into the hardware. So if you need more than a million routes... Yeah, okay. And and a million routes, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a that's, few tables now. That's, like, that's, not, yeah. that's not even two tables. Oh, yeah, you're right, because we're, we're well over <laughs> five. Yeah, that's not even two tables. So, yeah, so you could even use that for... Wow. Yeah. So and that, and that box has 16 gigs of RAM, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's not a RAM limitation plane. at that point. That's that's no. some other hardware limitation. Yeah. Or software configuration, compile time configuration. Right. Yeah. yeah. Some so artificial I mean, limit. Yeah. I don't. I, yeah, what what is it? You don't want to point too many fingers. You know they're trying to right. do the best <laughs> they can. But man, like, yeah. So uh, so we don't see those same things on on you know generic compute, right? It's just then becomes a right. matter of resources. Yeah. And like one of the other benefits that we've been seeing that uh, we are I'm going through right now with the customer is like we started with a Microtik border router because it's a very, very cheap BGP stack to deploy. And we put a hypervisor out for it and just did dedicated hypervisors, local storage to put this router out. And I think we're doing like like 10 or 15 gig of IP transit through it. So it's not like, you know, an enormous amount, but there's some other features they want. So we're just going to get a Juniper VM um, to move up because there's some features they want that aren't in the Microtik BGP set. And so literally without changing the hardware, we're going to move to a Juniper border router just by launching a new VM. So, I mean, this is, you know, as we build this modularity into these networks and like the things that I've been working on with, you know, the white box and, and open networking, that modularity of using a hypervisor as a border router is massive because you can just change your software stack at the drop of a hat. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, you, you also had mentioned that you're working on uh, another project where you're going from, what was it? It was uh, 10 gig to 100 gig MPLS, but there was some... Yep some things around, you know, white box and things we've discussed in the past that you're kind of seeing some realities come true for you. So what is that, what is that project like? I mean, help fill in the blanks there for me. Yeah. So I think um, that was been really interesting as I've been working through the white box uh, networks with the ISPs, because it's getting more and more popular. It's really, 
2019, there was a lot of it happening and people are really, really interested in it now because as speeds move up, you know, those port costs gets really expensive with traditional vendors. And so um, what we're seeing a lot of regional ISPs move to is like white box in the core um, and then things like Cisco and Juniper at the edge um, and the way that they build their ISPs. So specifically what you're talking about is I think we, we did a white box show, I think on Network Collective a while back. And one of the things I remember talking about was this idea that in separating software from hardware, you make it a lot easier to forklift speeds in the life cycle of the network because you know you're not going to a new platform, you're not learning a new syntax, you you know you don't necessarily have a ton of new caveats. Um, you know, obviously there's a few things you have to deal with when you do this. It's not like you know 100% seamless, but it was pretty close. Like we took the same config minus the naming of the interfaces and ported it over. And in this case, this case we were using um, edge core switches, edge core with a Qumran MX and then IP Infusion was the NOS um, doing the MPLS. And so we already had um, IP Infusion service provider OS running on 10 gig hardware. And we literally just moved it over to a box that had 100 gig and changed the interfaces, the interface names. And that was about it. And then everything moved over into the 100 gig realm. And so it was a pretty painless migration to get 100 gig in uh, over 10 gig. And so that was a cool win because if you can forklift speeds like that without, you know, dramatically disrupting the architecture and design and config of your, you know, your core network or your aggregation network, that's a big win. Yeah, that was one of the things that I was always, I think the most compelling argument for white box for me was, I mean, so there's, there's a couple of reasons. So the, you know, the first and kind of take a step back for those who, who maybe not have watched that or, or really consider what white box can do on their network. Um, by going white box and, and white box, meaning that you're, you're buying your, your hardware and your software from two different vendors, or they don't even necessarily be two different vendors, but the idea is the two are bought as, you know, kind of separate entities. Traditionally, oh. we buy this stack. We buy the hardware and software together. And anytime in time, you know, comes time to be a refresh, we just replace the box and the box comes with, well, if we're lucky, the same software we were using, in which case oh. there's not dramatic changes to the way we've done things. But as we've seen, like, Every five years or so, there tends to be upgrades in product lines and upgrades in operating systems and upgrades in the way things are done. And, you know, I, I know my path to having worked primarily in Cisco networks, like it was all Catalyst when I started. And then then it was Nexus. And so we, we had to convert everything over to NXOS. And then we kind of went back towards Catalyst, but this time it's iOS XE. And every time there was a translation problem. So even though I wasn't really changing the way my network worked, I wasn't changing the logic of my network. I was just replacing a box. I just had to go back and rework a lot of that, a lot of that stuff because the the syntax changed between each iteration of those things, and I had to go work out which features were available. When you separate those two, the software keeps operating the way the software always has. The yep. hardware underlying it is what you're replacing, so you're not really even changing. You're not changing your configuration. You're not changing whatever. Now you have to do a few things, right? Because the interface might go from 10 to hundred gig, right? Like the naming right. might change, change, there might be some changing that, like yep. that, but and there may be a couple the, other the features, but, but reality, specific commands, yeah. yeah, you're looking for a much smaller set of changes when that happens. And I think that we talked about that in theory. I think that what, what I'm hearing is like that theory is reality for you right now. And that's a little exciting, right? Like that, that, that you're going through and doing this significant change. Now this, these are on service provider networks too, right? Like lots of data going through these. Yeah. These I mean, this is customers. Yeah, this is really cool because you've got, I mean, you have hospitals, police departments, 911. We've got, you know, and some of the ones I've worked on, they even have some tier one services they carry uh, for some of the tier one carriers. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of critical traffic going over this. And so being able to do that, you know, in a more seamless way than we have done in the past is, you know, is great. So that that was, and, and I will say one of the other things that made a massive difference, that was a huge benefit. And as we move into 100 gig, 
Um, 10 gig wasn't as much of a price differentiator, like in the boxes, like it was there, it was cheaper, but like 100 gig is like, is, is worlds apart. And I think where you're seeing that, if you want to go look, look in the 5G space. Almost all of the 5G carriers have started like trying to deploy some kind of a white box platform, at least here in the US. Um, and I don't know about in Europe or other places, but if you go look at what AT&T is doing and Verizon is doing and T-Mobile is doing, they have all looked at, you know, white box platforms because 5G is so massive and they're trying to do like 100 gig at every tower. I mean, that's what the spec calls for it, a tower box right. is that you're putting, you know, two by 100 gig into a, into a 5G tower in a lot of cases. So, you know, you, you look at that in traditional vendors and it's just a massive cost. So that's the other thing we're dealing with is trying to lower that you know, port cost for an ISP. Um, and even the traditional vendors have gotten into that. I know Cisco and Juniper have both disaggregated, um, you know, Junos and iOS uh, yep. XR so that if you do want to go pick a Qumran platform or, you know, another platform and put it on there, I think Cisco and Juniper are still working their way through the hardware abstraction of the different platforms that they support. But I mean, they've definitely done it because they recognize that there's value. And they, I, when I was um, uh, talking with them, I think we did network field day with Cisco specifically where they were talking about doing that and they you know they said that the 5g providers came to them and said yeah. you know we want your software we just we need this particular set of hardware and that was a driver for cisco to decide to go do that well and i think the 5g thing is a couple prongs to that too right because the spec and the standard came out well before the hardware did so the idea yep. is we, want, we want to get a head start so a lot of the early 5g at least like r&d networks the things when they were first working with it were truly disaggregated and also commodity mm -hmm. we're going to take the stuff we're going to put it on commodity hardware and it's in a much easier transition to that, you know, to, uh, you know, a hardware based solution, if I don't have to change my software as well. Right. And so they did all the R and D on the commodity. So now, now I want, I want to transport my software and my configs and the stuff that I've worked on over, but I need the hardware support for the, you know, for the speed and the features and whatever. And so I, I disaggregation there, I think was kind of like a forced issue. And I think that's what ultimately made, because Cisco limped into it, right? Like, let's just be honest. They limped into yep. disaggregation. Uh, Juniper did not. Juniper was in much earlier for different reasons. And they said, Hey, we can do it too. And and they have no problem with disaggregation. Cisco, I think kind of was, I, I don't want to say forced, but I think that th their model has been, I'm going to sell you the stack and they still want to yeah. sell you the stack, but if you're big enough and you come with enough money, they'll do what you well, want. Yeah. And that's no different than, yeah. Than any other large company. If you, right. at least have, if you come with a huge sack of money and you say, I want this, but I want it that way. Well, that's, you know, that's why we've ended up with all these fun features in Cisco iOS all over the years. <laughs> so, for that so true. So. Yes. So, so true. Yes. If you're wondering why something is the way that it is and it seems completely backwards, it's because someone pulled yep. a wheelbarrow full of money up to Cisco's door. Said, gotta or, have it. Yeah. Juniper store or any of the major vendors door. Cisco's not the only one here who's yep, guilty of yep. this. They all like to make money. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong yeah. with that. And I, and I can't fault but, I, I'm yeah. a capitalist myself and I certainly yeah. can't fault him for that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it's really interesting the discussion about um commodity hardware because I had an interesting week too. Um and and when I say I had an interesting week, I had as, as part of my day job, I got to sit through a briefing of Zscaler. And this isn't just about Zscaler, but but they you know, I know Zscaler as a company who offers like uh, cloud web filtering and firewalling. And they've really kind of seemed to have come to prominence with the rise of SD-WAN uh, because as, as companies want to move more and more of their internet traffic to just exit the branch directly, they don't, you know, like none of the security groups want to lose the ability to filter. So the idea of a cloud-based filtering solution 
it, it made Zscaler a very attractive option. And we see the likes of, you know, Cisco Umbrella coming in behind them. And we see Palo Alto doing the same thing. And there's there's other organizations doing this filtering and firewalling. And that's who I thought Zscaler was <laughs> right before before this briefing. And that's who they are. They do that. They do that well. Right. But but what they presented is they've they've gone beyond that. And they're offering a technology that allows for like remote access of applications without a dedicated remote access VPN. So they're like playing this idea, this role of broker between client and server regardless of whether you're on network or off network. And they do this through like a, a software client that sits on, sits on the machine. But as I thought about it, like this, this resonates with some of the, the other technologies and we've been talking in the network collective Slack. There's some people who've been using some tech like this to, to do similar things, right? So this idea of, you know, host-based software overlays on top of networks um, and maybe not even just host-based, but the idea of, kind of just kind of like extracting the network altogether. So it's like companies like Zero Tier, we talked about Zero Tier quite a bit, maybe not on the show. I don't know if we've ever <laughs> even mentioned them on the show, but we sure talk about them a lot in the Slack. There's a bunch of people who are big uh, big fans of Zero Tier. And I know, I know Kevin, you've used them a fair bit. Nebula came out. I forget who the vendor was that released Nebula. Do you remember? That's Slack. Is it yeah, Slack? Slack, Slack did Nebula. Slack did yeah. Nebula. Uh, there's another one called Tailscale, um, mm -hmm. which, is, which is out there. Uh, I'm probably missing one or two more that are out there, but it, it definitely feels... Um, the Zscaler presentation felt a lot like that. The idea is like, they're not saying we're going to get rid of the WAN. <laughs> like that's not, that's not what their purpose is. Their purpose is like, Hey, we can do a zero trust security model and you know, we can provide all of this, but you look at it and you say, well, if I can do that, why do I need a private WAN? Like, <laughs> well, and, and the key there was the zero trust, right? Because right, yeah. you, you look at what they're doing is more app bases. You mentioned earlier, um, before we started the show Yeah, and, that's very much in line with what Cloudflare is doing with their access product in Argo Tunnels. Okay, um, so there you go. So Cloudflare is in this game a bit as well. Okay. Wow, well, I didn't even know that. So yeah, you learn something new every day. Yeah, adding on top of this, right? We've seen AWS has added like WAN transit capability with their transit gateways. Um, enough, enough so that I, I remember reading an executive blog post from Aviatrix who came out and said SD-WAN was dead, <laughs> right? Like, because AWS offered this service. Now, I scoffed at that at the time, and I still scoff at it a little bit because not every all traffic goes to AWS, and I don't necessarily want to pay transit costs or AWS for all of my WAN traffic. But uh, it certainly feels like there's some momentum behind this. This idea um, of using software overlays, utilizing you know a lot of the same software-defined networking components, but rather than having it exist on like an edge device like we have traditionally with a network that it's going to be more host-based or maybe on an edge device if it's needed, but kind of like creating more ambiguity about where the device actually lives and caring less about where it lives and, and kind of like obliterating that edge to begin with. And so I just kind of want to get your guys take, I mean, do you think the network is heading this way? Do you think the WAN is dead? <laughs> like as we move forward, like everyone's just going to connect to the internet and use these software based overlays to connect everything. Or is this just a, a niche product that, that meets a particular need? So I'm going to Daryl take that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you both are going to take it at some point because I want to hear yeah. both your opinions because yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, so I think that the the zero trust model has a lot of merit. Um, and so moving more towards that model, the need for a private WAN or even an internal network so much is not a requirement anymore, right? Um, so the Zscaler and the Cloudflare components that allow for that zero trust application level access make perfect sense for that. 
and then you don't even need to worry about your employees even being on the same network or even be able to talk to each other directly. Um, it just all gets managed through those means. There are other customers or other things where you may need to have that connectivity. And then moving that, there's a, there are a couple ways we can do that, right? You can do the host overlays or you can do network overlays and still overlay over, say, the internet. That I see is pushing more away, the lot, a lot of customers away from L2 and L3 VPN services from service providers. Primarily, um, from my experience in the US, especially having been a level three customer at various points in the past, on net over the public internet was the same as going with their MPLS service as far as SLAs. Okay. And that's and, a good point. That I, I find that too, Daryl. I think that's when you're on net on the same carrier, you get a pretty good experience usually. I mean, right. I mean, so Kevin, you work in the space more than, but I mean, we all we all know, right? The the only difference is the is the edge connection point. I mean, internet <laughs> internet is another tunnel over the top of the same infrastructure. Well, on. so yeah, yes, yes, and no. Mostly. You're right in the sense that it largely traverses a lot of the same yep. infrastructure. However, it's prioritization. Yeah, what, what if what's you, giving if you? If you have a bad day and a steel mill in Pittsburgh decides to inject the routes for Cloudflare. You know, into uh, you know, that the would global never internet happen. Table. That would never ever happen, like no. it did three months ago. Um, <laughs> so, like, I'm just that, like, to me, like, that's that's on the rise. Like, BGP hijacks and like mishaps and things like that are on the rise. So, the balance I see is that largely, like, by and large, 95% of the time, the internet is a great method of transport and consuming this. But the but the problem you've got to weigh it against is the risk of. It does, you know, usually every few months we have some major hiccup on the internet. Some cloud That's provider really goes down, point, you know, somebody, somebody's injecting a BGP hijack. So I think for, for organizations that want to use this, you've got to kind of do a risk analysis and say, how much does it cost me to keep my MPLS circuits and my stuff? Maybe I scale them down to a little bit slower speed. So I'm just using the stuff that I need. Um, and, or, you know, like AT&T, AT&T's got some SDN products that we use like in the carrier space where you can just scale your circuits up and down at will. Like you can get them delivered in like 72 hours. They've got some really, because AT&T has converted their network to SDN, they're really have got a pretty significant competitive advantage in the US on being able to deliver some of these things quickly and with like speed scale. So like, I just, I see that, I don't see the private WAN going away. I certainly see a diminished role for it with these overlays going forward. And then I think, you know, organizationally, you've got to kind of take a look and say, okay, how much is this going to impact me if the internet has a bad day or cloud has a bad day and I have nothing versus I still can fall back to something. And I think every well, I think organization is the, different there. I think that's the key point though. I think that, I think the, the big shift the reason why these become more and more viable as we go along, internet as transit becomes more and more viable as we go along is because ultimately the traffic is landing on the internet, whether I use the private WAN or not. Yep. Right. So as we see more and more of the resources that companies use, either be software as a service or infrastructure as a service, residing outside of their network to begin with, right? That's a real trend. I mean, we're seeing it move that way. The more it moves that way, like how I get to my exit point is kind of irrelevant if that once I get to my exit point, it's just bad anyway. Right. So that I think that makes a huge difference if, you know, a majority or even a segment of your you know, production services, your critical services reside on net. Retaining some sort of private network would be a way to mitigate something like a BGP hijack. But if all of your critical business services reside in AWS or Azure or Google Compute or is software as a service, if you are wholly dependent upon Salesforce or 
Office 365 to get your job done or for your business to operate. Does it matter? (laughs) Right. Does it matter if your private WAN works, if all those services aren't available to you anyway? You know, and that's a good point. And that's, I think every organization is, is different in that respect. And they all kind of look at the things um, differently. I know my company, you know, we're, we're a network engineering consulting company. We've got an office in Europe. We've got an office in Brazil. We have no private circuits. I, I run everything with zero tier overlays for prod for my company. We've got a physical data center in Denver and I do BGP peerings over zero tier um, to uh, digital ocean stuff we've got in Amsterdam. And then uh, we've got uh, some AWS stuff down in Brazil for things that we do down there, but it's all over zero tier. And, and every now and then we might have a hiccup, but it largely just works. Right. And I think there's also worth mentioning that there's some nuance between these different products. So I'm kind of lumping them together because they do a very similar type service and, and kind of yeah. overlaying, the, you know, uh, uh, a private network over the top of the Internet. But the one that I brought up, Zscaler, is very application based. You have to define the application either by host name or IP, and then it knows how to route the traffic based off of the policy that you set. Where something like zero tier is, is really like an L2 or L3 adjacency. It's like a, it's either a, a switch to routed adjacency across the internet, uh, where zero tier is not that at all, right? <laughs> zero tier is about a policy. <clears throat> yeah, zero tier is definitely, I mean, I so I actually looked at, my guys have been uh, asking about, the, the people on my team have been asking about Nebula, um, and tail scale because they wanted to try that. And so we actually, I already have zero tier in prod. We've had it in prod for almost a year. And then um, we actually, before the show, we started, we, we spun up Nebula and uh, tail scale in the DC just to start playing around. And I noticed some very, very, um, some, some very uh, clear distinctions between the three platforms. It, it's very, very clear that zero tier is probably the most network focused. Right, you can tell three. it was written by somebody who was a networker. It's yeah, like we'll you can do networking take, just virtual networking from the host or from the from the yeah. end. Yeah, it's got a yeah. large MTU. They do some really really weird, but black magic like intelligent frame fragmenting where you can do like a three thousand MTU over the internet. You can do MPLS. I think somebody in Network Collective even wrote an article on MPLS over zero tier yeah. on LTE. Yeah. Um, I use OpenSense firewalls, which actually have free range routing and uh, zero tier packages, nice. and so I use free range routing to redistribute zero tier subnets into BGP into my data center and into other places so that I can combine traditional networking. So zero tier is very, very, very uh, focused on traditional networking and being able to do those kinds of things. Um, I noticed Nebula is very application centric. I think Daryl mentioned that um, uh, Nebula or, or talked about application centric overlays. And it's very clear Nebula is definitely that. It is very much focused on that. It's very decentralized too. Cause like what we found out when we stood it up is it has this thing called a lighthouse, whereas zero tier has a controller. And the lighthouse can be any node. It can be more decentralized. Whereas with zero tier, you have to have a defined hosted controller of sorts, you know, SDN controller to run the thing. So there's a there's a difference in them there. And then in looking at tail scale, we notice that tail scale is all slash 32 networking. It's all like it literally just hands it has the hundred dot uh, sixty four zero zero slash networks and it just you don't get to pick them it just hands you one and it's a slash thirty two uh, oh my word so, Wait, so when the SDN challenge I see there out. is scale is going to be a bit of a problem if you're injecting a thousand host routes into a host routing table <laughs> well I mean when SDN first came out it was hilarious because everyone's like this is or I think specifically OpenFlow it was like oh all this is is like you know a controller controlling you know slash 32 static routes like that's all that it really was at the end of the day and you're telling me that here we are yet again many years later and that's the way we're solving this problem is through slash 32 host routes yep oh rfc 1925 strikes again that's hilarious yep so that that, yeah so basically that was a really interesting distinction that we saw between the three platforms was all slash 32 networking no layer two on tail scale 
Um, and then um, Nebula was, I'm not sure if Nebula is pure layer two or not, or if they're faking layer two right. or something like that. I mean, zero tier very clearly, you can, do, you can choose to extend or isolate the broadcast domain. It functions like layer two, but you have some intelligent like uh, ways to kind of cut that out. I think, I think one of the most interesting things in, in zero tier to me is that you can also do public overlays. So like you can have a, it's over the internet, but it's a public network that anybody can join. So it's an overlay that's public and their best example of it is called Earth. They have a network that's public, that's an overlay called Earth. Anybody can join it. And it's like a slash four of some weird space I don't think I've ever heard of. <laughs> so it, it's, but they have like, you go and look at any given time, there's like 27,000 people connected to the same layer two network. So it works. <laughs> so I think also one of the other components you have to think about is, you know, we're, we're putting a lot of hands into, or a lot of our uh, control into controllers that exist out on the internet versus ones that we control ourselves. So obviously with a private yep. WAN and routers and traditional networking, it's all in our hands and our handoff really is just when we push it out to the internet. Uh, I know. And we, we do that with cloud services too. Of right? course, of course. I mean, all of this is a, is an equation of risk, right? Like how much do I trust this, you know, this, this service provider, how much value or, or how much do I trust that they're going to stay online? How secure is their multi-tenant architecture? Those types of things. Like I'm worried about all the same things that we talk about with cloud if it's a public gateway. Now, do any of these, um, Kevin, from your experience, because I haven't used any of these, I mean, all of my knowledge is theoretical and just absorbing what's being said in the network collective Slack because I don't have much time to play with these right now. But do any of these have controllers that you can self-host and manage yourself or like because, of, because of the internet nature that kind of has to be out in someone else's service in the cloud somewhere? Well, well, Nebula defaults to you running your own. Okay, and that's what I thought I'd heard. I thought I heard that Nebula, like one of the advantages of Nebula was the fact that you kind of run your own. I know with Zscaler, it was kind of like, well, you're still going to configure your policies in the cloud, but we offer a broker that exists on net, right? So like them, it was kind of like this hybrid. You still had to have them involved, but the broker can exist on your network so your traffic never leaves. So you have data sovereignty, right? Like some, some things like that. Like if you wanted to use private WAN links and, and not have to go to the internet for, you know, traversing path or whatever. Uh, what about zero tier? They do. They've got a couple options. Um, so if you go on GitHub, they've got their basic controller package out on GitHub so you can run your own controller. Um, I don't know if it comes with the graphical interface that you get with the hosted. You may be uh, using a text file. And I believe zero tier has also got an enterprise license where you can kind of work with them to get your own custom controller and embed the software you know, into other, you know, other things if you want to. So they've got a couple different avenues to host your own now, controller with zero tier. I just, I've used theirs for the last year and it's worked pretty well. So the last time that I looked and heard about the zero tier running your own internal controller was that you had to basically recompile the client side as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. I think well, I remember somebody because the client that natively well. comes yeah. pointed yeah. towards the public service. You'd have to recompile yep. it to do so you can, but there's, there's considerable uplift to run your own. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. That's interesting. I'm, I'm sure it'll mature over time too. I mean, like I started hearing about this stuff, like I said, maybe a year, year and a half ago, you know, like this isn't, I mean, Nebula was just released a couple of months ago, like publicly. I know they've been using it for a while, but it's, it was just released not that long ago. So I'm kind of curious to see, you know, how's that, how this evolves, but I mean, I'm, I'm also curious what you guys think. I mean, so, uh, you know, all, all, you know, default disclaimers aside that, you know, looking to crystal balls is, you know, kind of hard to do and <laughs> whatever like five years from now what does the WAN look like I mean like I feel like SD WAN has been this huge push and now I feel like there's already challenges I remember it was a year ago maybe even longer I was on a show with Yvonne Sharp and like it, someone referenced SD WAN as, as our network is a post SD WAN world I'm like what like my head's exploding like we're not even fully there yet but yet here we are we're talking about like all these alternatives 
And we, I'm just now starting to really like see, see traction of real companies like implementing SD-WAN in, in mass. Are we already talking about what's next and is that what's coming or do you think it's some hybrid? Personally, I think it's a hybrid because I, I think there, there's always a, a fair case when you're, you're talking about, let's put a box out, you know, whether it's an SD-WAN box or whatever. And, you know, whether you're going to go into something like, you know, take a traditional box and go into Zscaler's cloud, which I heard about Palo Alto. I think they're doing it, too, where you can even take a non-SD-WAN box, like a traditional box, and then connect to their cloud and get all the mm -hmm. wonderful SD-WAN, you know, benefits and, and goodness and all of that. But I think that these, these overlay networks, these mesh point-to-point networks, I, I see them both having a place because I think, you know, there are times when it just makes sense to have a box, have the visibility, have some of the metrics and analytics that – you, you get an SD-WAN solution, because that's one thing that we, we don't really get in these solutions, these these mesh VPN solutions. I don't, there's really not any metrics on, you know, packet loss and, you know, QoS, and I'm not, there's not a dashboard like you get with a traditional SD-WAN solution that kind of visualizes the whole network for you and shows you, you know, where problem spots are. So if you're an organization trying to manage a whole slew of endpoints, I think that's still a solution that you've got to have in your toolkit. And then, but, at the same time, uh, you know, if you want to be able to do the mesh networking that solves a very real problem in, you know, I don't want to hairpin through anywhere and I want to be able to take these hosts or network devices or whatever, you know, and go from, you know, anywhere, you know, anywhere to anywhere. I mean, it, it was a very practical application for me. We'd had zero tier running for six, seven months in prod and I was overseas last year at a conference in Europe and I was on a train, like I think somewhere in the Czech Republic and I needed to get to our stuff in AWS that was in Amsterdam. And if I'd been on a traditional VPN, I'd be boomeranging back to Denver, you know, across the Atlantic to get to that. But because I was on zero tier, I went directly to the instance in AW or in DigitalOcean in, uh, in Amsterdam, straight from the train. So, like, to me, when you start talking about having to loop stuff around the world for all these global organizations, I think a confluence of the two and convergence of those two solutions is what we'll end up seeing. Interesting. Daryl, any thoughts? Well, the, the way that I see... Um, services like Zero Tier or um, uh, Nebula is more of a hybrid between the SD-WAN type philosophy of being able to have that connectivity over any privatized connectivity over any transport um, and going and a zero trust model. So it's, it's kind of somewhere in between those two, taking aspects of both of those. Um, whereas so I see that the SD-WAN is going to be around for a while. The newer services like Zero Tier and um, and Nebula be run in parallel. Not maybe not even at the same organization, but so another organization in the same market space maybe running it using that. And then completely different organization has no offices, has no internal privatized network and using a complete zero trust model like Cloudflare's uh, access in Argo Tunnel. So I, I see that at least for the next 10 years, there's not, there's no distinctive winner. I, uh, my personal take is I think that these services are features more than products. Um, so when we talk about zero tier, we talk about, uh, Nebula, Tailscale, even the Zscaler product, like this is a feature. So I think this is a feature that it gets integrated into a networking product. I think that we see a convergence of the two. Uh, I'm not alone there. Actually, Gartner agrees with me, which makes me scared a little bit. Um, but Gartner uh, says that, you know, that the the markets that are right now the WAN edge market and what's being called um, <clears throat> sassy 
um, but this this cloud security model, uh, that those two markets will become the same thing. Like because th there's just so much shared um, need between the two that they will that they will merge in and essentially <laughs> eventually either zscaler because that's how we started right is going to be offering sd wan box or somebody who offers sd wan boxes is going to have zscaler integrated in like not as another thing but as part of their solution um i, I think we already saw that because uh, when we were at uh, i think nft21 aruba pitched something really similar to that in their sd wan solution where they had point to multi-point yeah. vpn services in their sd wan box and so i think that i think that when we see this this you know uh, either the zero trust application-based model or we're talking about uh these mesh vpns that are any to any and even host-based i think that they become features of of these wan boxes i think that that's the ultimate end is that we end up with all of this kind of just kind of jumbling together and providing the same stuff right now i just think that we haven't had the maturity in any of these markets to have them hit all three verticals with any with any real capacity and so as the as the sd win market you know consolidates as it has to and we're already seeing that happen in some degree um we're also then going to see i think this this sassy market and this overlay market <laughs> all kind of just jump in together and and end up being you know part of a larger feature uh product set uh, either that or the pendulum swings the other way before all of this materializes and everyone goes back to running their own routers with their own <laughs> and forgetting about the software defined stuff because we're done with that. And all of a sudden decentralized is way better and we're going to do it that way because we all know that that's coming, whether that's five years or 15 years down the road. So oh, Nebula fits well the pendulum swing. Yeah, they, I mean, there's there's you know, there are certain truths, right? The 12 networking truths. The one that is just seems to be missing is the fact that there's a pendulum. I think RFC 925 rule 11 speaks to that a little bit. But the idea that it's not just that old ideas get presented new, it's that, you know, within a certain frame of time, the idea that was fashionable becomes unfashionable. And the one that we did before that becomes fashionable again. Like, it's just it's like, you know, name your fashion trend. Like common, coming back. That, that seems like a common theme of the topics that we discuss when I'm on the show with you. Really? <laughs> yeah, we did that the last time. <laughs> I'd have to go back and look. Uh, we talked about the, the pendulum swing for, for technology. Yeah, it's one yeah, of my about themes. Centralized and decentralized. Oh, uh, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I really do believe that's true. I think that we're, we're in this, you know, cycle. I mean, we're going to, we're going to find all the warts and centralized, you know, topologies and technologies. And eventually people are going to be like, well, you know what, when we do this decentralized, it's not a tightly coupled system. It doesn't fail dramatically. Like there's all kinds of these advantages. Like, do you really want a robust and reliable system? Maybe you shouldn't be running a controller. Like, I mean, you know, like we're going to hear this, like, no, you're, you're totally right. And even from a practical standpoint, when we were messing around with Nebula versus zero tier, um, one of the guys who's more of a software engineer and systems guy was, was standing it up and we started looking at it, which was not too long before this call. And we were like, okay, how do I inject a route? Cause like zero tier injects like a slash 24 route to an endpoint through the controller. And that just shows up on any host that joins. It. And he's like, Oh, well, we got to go back and rehard code that host to inject that route. And I was like, well, that's not fun. Cause that's not going to scale. <laughs> cause you know, cause if I have 500 endpoints, I can push that to all 500 endpoints from the controller. But if I've got to go do, you've got to go make host level changes in Nebula to do that. So I think the, you know, there's, there's all of these centralized versus decentralized things just between the solutions we've mentioned right. that are going on now in those that we're, you know, probably all going to try to dive and figure out how do we leverage these and which one is the right one for the right application. Uh, I don't, I don't think we have any risk guys. I think there's plenty of work for the rest of our careers. The more that we look at this stuff, yep. it, it's not getting, um, it's really funny. I keep it, the word simple, 
I, I immediately cringe when I hear simple, like given any type of product demonstration or anything, I'm like, uh, maybe this is simple when it stands on its own, but the moment you try to integrate it into a network and I don't care what product you're talking about, the moment it has to touch something else, all of a sudden it gets really, really complex. And so, you know, the things we're talking about here are not simple things and it's, it'll be interesting to see where the market goes. Um, now that you've heard three experts share their opinion on where it's going to go, you can easily bet money on something that we didn't say because experts are the worst predictors of the future. So either that or one of us is, uh, <laughs> got lucky this one time around. So, uh, no, it's, it is interesting because I think it's an interesting market. It's, it's interesting seeing SD Wayne grow the way that it has based off of, you know, uh, it's funny you watch service provider scoff, right? <laughs> I've seen Kevin do this a little bit a bit, you know, like, what is this? We've been doing this stuff forever. You know, like it's really no different than anything we've been doing for a long time. And there's truth to that. There there really is. Yeah. Right. And then and then you look at the enterprises and they find real value out of it. And then again, we're gonna find something fashionable that's completely different a couple of years from now. And all of this is gonna be like, oh, look how silly we were. It's it reminds me of the dig that AT&T did against Google Fiber when they when they finally like folded up and said we're we're done because Google Fiber came in and said we're going to change the world it's all going to be this everything's going to be great and then they they got a few cities done and found out that building infrastructure was really really hard and AT&T put this letter out that said we're glad that Google Fiber finally realize what we've known for 95 years that building infrastructure <laughs> across thousands of miles is kind of hard it's challenging there's a reason why certain yeah, companies so was, do it, it well and there's a, yeah heritage of knowledge here yeah yep yeah yeah i hear that for sure well on that note i think this is a great place to uh wrap things up so daryl uh where can people find you online uh twitter at daryl clute uh my blog at daryl haven't had much time to devote there unfortunately um common story yeah <laughs> you're not alone man uh kevin how about yourself where can people find you you can find me on twitter at stubarea 51 uh, my blog at stubarea 51.net and then uh, you can also hit me up on uh, facebook or linkedin i'm on there too so uh, how about a quick plug for your business too i mean you're doing a lot of work in the light box space and whatever else so yeah for sure so uh, i'm one of the co-founders and senior network architect for ip architects we are a uh, global network engineering firm uh, with offices in uh, Europe, South America, and uh, uh, stuff here in the U.S. as well. And we pretty much uh, just do pure consulting, pure time. We're uh, not a VAR and just kind of roam the earth uh, looking for networking projects and exciting things to do. So that's that's my day. All right. And where web URL places to find you? That is going to be iparchitects.com. Uh, so it's I-P-A-R-C-H-I-T-E-C-H-S. Yes, .com. not architect. architect. Yeah, I got to always... Make sure I get the ending right. <laughs> My own company. <laughs> all right. And it's more than likely that you all know me already, but I'm Jordan Martin. and can be found as uh, at BC Jordan on Twitter. Uh, this has been an episode of Network Collective. If you're a networker and looking for more great geekiness like this, you can head on over to networkcollective.com. Check out some of our past episodes. They ranged from nuanced protocol deep dives to navigating your career as a networker. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe, we're at the regular podcast places. Search for us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere else you find podcasts. Also, make sure to uh, check out the Network Collective blog at blog.networkcollective.com. Yes, we too creatively name our URLs here, darylclute.com.net, whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, speaking of the blog, if you have something to share with the broader networking community, which, by the way, if you work in the networking community and aren't sharing already, that's you. Um, but you don't have a place to do it, you're welcome to write at our site. You can head on over to blog.networkcollective.com. Register for an account. It's as easy as that. Uh, if you want to chat with the show, you can find us on all the regular social media channels. We're at NetCollectivePC on Twitter. 
And you can search for Network Collective on LinkedIn and Facebook to find us at those places. Uh, or you can take the shortcut and just use the links at the top of the networkcollective.com website. That's the uh, that's the easy way to find us. So uh, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.